0: The brain's natural ability to heal itself can be accelerated by external stimulation. We talk about how today on Mind Matters News. Welcome to Mind Matters News, where artificial and natural intelligence meet head on. Here's your host, Robert J. Marks. Greetings! We set broken bones and use casts so broken bones heal better. Bones can heal themselves, but physicians can help them heal better. Likewise, the brain can naturally heal itself when injured. Can medical science put the equivalent of a Band-Aid on the brain and make it heal more quickly? Our guest today says yes and backs his claims with some fascinating empirical studies. Our guest today is an expert on healing in the brain. Dr. Yuri Danilov is the former head of the Tactile Communication and Neuromodulation Laboratory. That's in the kinesiology department at the University of Wisconsin-Madison. He is an expert in neuroscience and has made many breathtaking breakthroughs in the technology to accelerate brain plasticity. Thank you, Dr. Danilov, for appearing with us today.
1: You're welcome.
0: Let's start out with an interesting question I learned learned from your slides. Who was Phineas Gage, and why is he so important to the study of brain trauma and, and what happens with the brain? Well,
1: this case was a cornerstone for the modern neuroscience. Uh, because what's happened, uh, during the railroad crash, the metal rod penetrated his head, and you saw on the slide which way.
0: Okay, it was through the right cheek, and it exited through the upper left of the head. Yep. Upper left corner of the head.
1: Uh, you can find it in every textbook on the neuroscience on this topic. Surprisingly, he was not died. He survived and lived another 11 years. And only one thinks would notice his relatives and friend, the temper become much worse. Well, considering the condition. So when he passed away, saw the anatomist look on his brain and figure out that he lost about 30% of the brain. 30%? 30%. Wow. Was destroyed. The question then arises: so how much brain we need to survive? And if, we, if our brains are fragile, and so sensitive to any changes or infection or trauma from one side, from another side, is actually so resistant to, to, to the trauma. From another point, people start to see that there are, I know the uh, PhD in math who have just one hemisphere, okay? that just from the childhood, the one hemisphere didn't develop.
0: And he has a PhD in math. Yeah. I've always suspected that about mathematicians. <laughs> Uh, okay, that's, that, that's an inside joke. Go ahead.
1: Okay. <laughs> well, so that's, that's a paradox. in uh, research in the Penfield, actually, so one of the chairman of neuroscience in Montreal, McGill University, one, one of the most famous uh, neuroscientists in this time, uh, he also discovered another interesting thing that we, for example, remember everything. And the memory—it's a question of extraction of the information, not recording information. And what he discovered—it uh, was published the case. So in that time to operate on the brain, brain don't have a pain receptors, so you can do surgery on the brain and talk with a person.
0: That's that's creepy, yes, but
1: well, at the same time to find actually the right area and to make the right incision in the brain, you have to mark the field because brain is uh, for customized for each skull so each person have a different slightly different uh, physical borders on, on the different uh, areas of the brain so they use a slight stimulation of the electrodes and uh, talking with the patient they mark the borders and suddenly the patient start to talk an unknown language and he was smart guy he uh, asks a tape recorder And they recorded for several hours, they recorded speech of the patient. It was a woman. Uh, When they uh, asked her, she didn't have any degree. She was housewife all her life. And she never had a chance to learn any languages. Uh, Nevertheless, when they they invite experts and they they discovered that she spoke on the ancient Greek, on, on the language of Homer, and the, when they started to dig her biography, they discovered that when she was a girl, about between 10 and 12 years, if I remember correctly, uh, she was housekeeping in the house of the ancient Greek professor who liked to citate Homer in the ancient Greek language.
0: Oh my goodness. So she did learn it. That's she passively it she learned
1: kid. it. She didn't learn it specifically. She passively, passively heard. learned it. Yeah. And she actually cited the Homer on, on, on this lake. She basically de, de cited de, this poem, okay? So then how did they appear the idea what the memory is and how the memory organized and actually re, actually remember everything,
0: okay? So it was a lot of discoveries done at this time. I've heard of that. I've heard that the subconscious, I don't know if this is true or not, that you retain uh, most of what you see and hear, you hear p- about people with photographic memories, and uh, I don't know if we all have that at a subconscious level, but it, it seems that this example that you were talking about indicates that that might be the case.
1: Uh, well, that's, we talk about the different kind of memories, but I believe you never heard about eidetic memory. I see. It's it's interesting case. So, it's a kids quite frequently have this memory. They remember picture in the details that you can few days later ask on this picture about details on this picture. They capable of recreate picture inside and look in this detail that you ask them to look.
0: Yeah, you've seen this in movies where they take a witness and they hypnotize the witness in order to go back to the crime scene and remember details. So there is something to that. Then yes, oh, that's that's really fascinating. Getting back to Phineas Gage, he had this this bar go through his. Um, his cheek, and outside the, outside his head on the other side. You always hear if somebody gets shot in the brain, they're going to die. Seems to me that if a bullet went through that same path, that you would survive being shot in the brain. Is that true?
1: How do I know? Well, <laughs> do you you mentioned we should try an
0: experiment. <laughs> no, I don't know. I just. It just seems to me that we should, unless the bullet causes some sort of excessive trauma as it goes through.
1: Well, it's a lot of complications, and you just remind me the uh, one of the most difficult projects we're still hoping to work with. It's. Uh, blast concussive injuries because right now majority of the uh victims of the war in afghanistan and uh, iraq it's a blast concussive injury i see and it's interest well it's interesting it's a terrible problem that our armory become more efficient so you have less dead and more wounded. And the question of, and the more than 60% of uh, damages, it's the results of blast concussions.
0: I found out in preparing for the podcast, there's something called transcranial direct current stimulation, TDCT, where you actually put electrodes on the temple and you pass current through the brain in order to Hopefully, accelerate the healing of the brain or to make yourself smarter or you make yourself more alert. And to my surprise, I found these things available and purchasable on Amazon.com. What's the history of this? Uh, We talk about neuroplasticity, the ability of the brain to heal itself. And then your work in actually accelerating the adaptation of the healing of the brain or the adaptation. of the brain. This is an old topic, though. Does it have any? Is there anything worthwhile on this? And should I get one of these things and hook it up to my temples and see if I get a tingly feeling? Uh, for the record, Doctor uh, Daniloff looked around and I don't know. Why would you describe? The, uh, well, the, the question.
1: Well, the, the, the reason of my behavior because there is many different answers on your question. Uh huh. Well, first of all, I cannot criticize. Let's say competitors, a lot of people think that we're competitors, we're not. Okay, for the work that you do. Yeah, the direct current brain stimulation, it's uh, actually micropolarization. It's not stimulation per se. So when you're pushing DC current through the skull, uh, under one electrode, you suppress all neurons. doesn't matter which one. you suppress everybody. Yes. From another side, you excite all neurons in the area. Mm-hmm. In the first experiments, when it was a big size electrode, like few centimeters by few centimeters, they applied to the head. It's basically half a brain was inhibited, half a brain was excited. Usually I explain uh, that, for example, you have a radio in a car and you tuned on the, on the, on the, on the frequency you like to, to, to hear the music. And suddenly, when you're driving, it's frequency going away. You start to lose yes. the signal. You have two handles to fix. You can increase the loudness or you can change tune.
0: The frequency, yes. The frequency that it's tuned to.
1: So, direct current, it's loudness, basically. An idea is that if you have something abnormally excited, you can suppress. If you have something abnormally depressed, you can excite. And it's actually not stimulation; it's polarization in some sort of the brain. I see. Okay? In term of critic from my p- side, you never control what you excite, what you inhibit, because we know that networks highly complicated, multi-level, and if one functional system is not working, and you want to fix it, you cannot push everything, all system at the same time. Because you're pushing one system up, but you're pushing other systems down. Yes. Okay, so you cannot separately fix what you want. You just increase activity in one chunk of the brain and decrease activity in another chunk of the brain. But chunking its mean that a lot of system affected at the same time. And the, yes, right now they become more sophisticated, they decrease area of stimulation, they become more focal. So you can stimulate visual cortex, you can stimulate motor cortex, but again, it's not stimulation, it's polarization. You're just changing thresholds in the system.
0: I see. So it's much too, it's much too coarse in its, uh, in its application. It's changing level of activation, but didn't, didn't change the signal-to-noise ratio. Signal-to-noise ratio of what's happening in the brain? or Yeah. I see.
1: Because basically what's, uh, what's uh, one of the major functions of the brain, it's the sensory motor integration. You have to sense something and you have to move something as a result, right? So all our life events, all our behavior, it's a movement based on a sensory information. Because you have to, to move correctly, you have to feel your body, you have to feel yourself in space, you have to see obstacles, you have to smell dangers, and your behavior depends on the sensory input. If something happened, trauma or disease, one of them or both of them are affected and people cannot walk normally because they don't feel the ground, for example, diabetic neuropathy. They don't feel the surface, that's why unsteady, the unsteady risk of falls, right? The multiple sclerosis patient can feel the legs but cannot move it correctly because the movement part is affected. Or Parkinson patients have spasticity in the muscle, rigidity in the muscles because over tension on the spastic muscles. So it's overexcitation in one part of the brain and over-inhibition in another one. So it's highly complicated networks. And that's why just simple changes of activity in in a chunk of the brain, it's not solution. I see. Sometimes it's work. In some cases, it's work. Some patients might help.
0: Yeah, I I, um, looked at the source of all authority, Wikipedia, about the TDCT, about putting the electric current through the brain. And their comment was, the jury is still out. Even though it's been going on for all of these years, it's still very non-conclusive and nobody knows what's happening. I'd like to actually talk now about your work, specifically the brain port and translingual neurostimulation. Could you elaborate on that? Because that is just, it's fascinating and the results that you've obtained are just jaw-dropping. Uh,
1: basically, there are two independent discoveries uh, that happened in our lab, initiated by Paul Bakurita and my colleagues, Mitch Tyler and Kurt Kosmarik, uh who invented this device. Uh, and one of them is a brain port, because it's in the end of 90s, we were believed that you can help uh, the brain if you provide missing information. Because blind person, that was the major uh, topic for research for Paul Bakurita for many, many years. Uh, he wanted to help blind people. Uh, we developed the tongue stimulation system to help blind people to see. So basically, we designed uh, the system that transfer visual information from camera to electrotactile image on a tongue.
0: So therefore, you actually put an image... On the tongue yep. through electrical stimulation, yep. and was the the stimulation a form of that image that was being captured? Yep. And and why the tongue? You mentioned this on your slide. I I thought that maybe it was primarily due to the fact that you had a greater nerve density in your tongue than elsewhere in your body, but it's more than that, isn't it?
1: Well, so the first of all, originally it was a technically much more effective. Uh, place for stimulation because the tongue have a highest spatial resolution remember we talk with the blind we have to replace a vision so we have to use a high resolution skin and human have only two place of high resolution the tip of the finger and tip of the tongue yes and because it's the highest density of fibers in a square unit square uh, but at the same time technically it's flat surface it's uh, constant temperature, constant Good acidity, time. yes. So you have a lot of uh, optimal parameters for electrical stimulation. It's need about five times more uh, less current to ignite the same uh, perceptual strength of the electrical stimulation. Oh. So it's more than the fingertip, for example. So it was a useful place, I mean, an effective place, optimal place for electrical stimulation of the skin. But later during research, we discovered that it's not just that. The tongue at the same time is a unique place that have a two at least two cranial nerve directly affecting the central nervous system. Because the rest of the body below the neck level, every skin receptor have to go to spinal cord. But the cranial nerves that innervate the head, they have a direct connection to the brain. So it's a shortcut if you wish. The tongue have a direct input to the brainstem and as a matter of fact from the neck segment of the spinal cord to the midbrain. So it's a big, big center of uh, activity but brainstem itself it's a crossroad between body and mind if you wish between brain and body. Information from body to brain from brain to body going through brainstem. And plus in the same uh, location, you have another super smart brain, cerebellum that also have a three pairs of inputs and outputs from the the, the central nervous system on this level.
0: I, I have heard it said that during our development in the womb, that basically the tongue is kind of pulled out from the brain in some sense. Is that accurate?
1: Everything pulled out.
0: Everything was pulled out from the brain. Okay, okay, okay. But So it's, uh,
1: it's actually true for the eye because people consider that eye is external piece of the brain.
0: You talked about a famous mountain climber who was blind that was really helped by the uh, translingual, I'm sorry, the trans… Um, brain port vision uh, device. Could you elaborate on that? What was his name? And you said he climbed all the mountains in the world? or?
1: Yeah, he is the most famous blind alpinist in the world. Uh, Eric Weinheimer.
0: Eric Weinheimer, okay.
1: And uh, yes, he was our first subject in our experiments.
0: And the videos I saw were just incredible. He was able to grab a Coke can. He was able to play rock paper scissors with his uh, yes, uh, with, with the small girl. Yes. He was um, he was able to catch a rolling ball as it was as it was going down. Then we saw him actually climb a wall using the uh, stimulator with the camera, yes. putting the image on his tongue, and that was that was pretty incredible stuff.
1: Yeah, we're not pushing every subject climbing on the wall. Believe me, it was his <laughs> okay. initiative.
0: Yes, of course.
1: Uh, but we have even more in, well, more intriguing results. I mean, I can talk hours about it because it's a mystery after mystery after mystery. Um, I mentioned that we don't know how using single camera they can feel the depth and distance because we have to have a two eyes to have a stereoscopic vision and sensation of depth perception, at least in the textbook. Uh, some people say we can uh, use one eye to fill the depths, but in some experimental condition. But when the congenitally blind person with again very simple camera on the forehead coming to the room, finding the trash can and throwing the ball and getting there, that's a really interesting because uh, he's not missing. And how they feel the depths it's still the, the, the big question uh another interesting uh, yeah the same patient have another problem. He said that he, from the childhood he wanted to know what it's meant to play cards. and, and he was and able he, to play cards yes and, it's, the, what, the last time I saw him the problem was nine and ten. He, he mixing some time but he learned how to play cards. Wow.
0: Well I think that, that your um, neurostimulation has helped people for example, with sight. It's helped them with balance uh it's helped them has it helped them with hearing
1: uh yes it's a project we started but we never finished the project yes we did a small project to train deaf people to learn uh how to read the mouth wow so it was it, it was a lot of it was sight then in terms no, of we the, the 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 when they do mouth reading there is a I believe 28 uh situation when it's really difficult for them to learn for example difference between b and p how you can just on a, on the a mouth moment. so we developed system that helped them to learn we did additional input through the tongue helping to figure out which combination it is uh but yes it's potentially we can replace any uh sensory system but the question is how to code it For example, how to code taste information, because nobody knows what is a human taste.
0: The incredible thing about the stimulator that blew me away as an engineer is the fact that it was only a 10 by 10 matrix of stimulators. That That was the resolution that was used. That's just astonishing that people could do that and actually perceive depth from it, such as the mountain climber you mentioned, Eric.
1: Right. Uh, right now, the current version of the brain port vision device, how the system is named, it's FDA-approved, by the way. Oh. Okay, so that's uh, right now 20 by 20.
0: Oh, okay, so four times as many.
1: Yes. Uh, is, is there a limit that the tongue can perceive? Well, according to my calculation, natural resolution grid, it's have to be 50 by 50 to match natural Spacing.
0: I see. And anything above that would be overkill then. Uh,
1: it's interesting because technically speaking, if you have a higher resolution, uh, you have a more freedom to synthesize any image lower grade. Yes. Okay. And the, um, well, it's, it's interesting uh, technical issue because then if we're talking about vision, you have to learn how to transfer a level of grace, for example, right? Uh, but in terms of the. Uh, so
0: everything isn't binary. I guess I was assuming everything was either on or off, but you're saying no. that it can actually have different levels.
1: Yes. I see. And that's why you have catch 22. Then larger electrode, then more level of grace you can transfer, but it's a low resolution. But if you do smaller electrode, it will be high resolution, but then it will be no difference between zero and 1 and zero. it will be just black and white. So and so what we designed a matrix original a matrix and size of electrode was optimize between the resolution and level of grace.
0: But the other thing you have going for you too is the frame rate. So I could see for example, moving around you could you could detect parallax in, uh, in your view and therefore determine depth. What's the frame rate that you use on the neurostimulator.
1: We have a different frame rates, but never more than
0: 20. 20 per, uh, second. 20 per second. Now, you've used this, again, on all of these uh, different applications. Have you ever thought of, or has it been used for uh, mental uh, situations, maybe the depression, uh, autism, bipolar disorders, things of that sort? Is there any thought of using that, or is that really in the future right now?
1: Well... It looks like it's another piece of podcast because we talk brain port technology. It was technology to transfer information to the brain. But during research in this direction we discover a completely different part of the uh effects of the tongue stimulation. It's a rehabilitation power of the tongue stimulation. And that's what we call Pons technology, portable neurostimulation. Uh I told you that in 2007 we sit and start to think what what do we have and how we can explain and then we have idea that maybe it's not information change the brain it's a stimulation change the brain and to prove this concept we removed all artificial sensors, video cameras accelerators and so on we just increase the number of stimulation electrodes okay and uh, use it basically the same pattern, but for different purpose. So right now, it was no uh, information
0: transferring
1: from outside. It was stimulation of the brain in combination with special exercise.
0: Yes. And I think that in order, for example, to help somebody with a balance disorder, you had to apply the nut, the tongue stimulator during the time they were walking in order to assess the part of the brain that was being used to give that misbalance. Is that true?
1: Partially true, because brain port, perfect. We designed the brain port to improve the postural control, body alignment and posture. Brain port you can use only in a static exercise because you cannot use it during the walking. Oh, I see. Because it's it's become very noisy and unreliable Mm -hmm. signal. But to work with uh, walking, with hand exercise, with something else, cognitive uh, problems, and so on. So if we use a PONS instead of brain port. Brain port, it's a posture alignment. Everything outside this, it's a PONS device.
0: We should mention PONS is an acronym for?
1: Portable Neurostimulator. Stimulator.
0: Portable, P-O, Neural Stimulator, PONS. Okay.
1: Neural Modulation Stimulator.
0: Neuromodulation stimu- Okay, the the M didn't make it in there, did it? Neuromodulation, P-O-N-S. Um, how, how would you do somebody with, uh, for example, somebody that uh, had autism? You would have, uh, I would imagine that people with autism are actually given tests and they do exercises. So I could imagine the tongue stimulation being applied there. No, you're shaking your head.
1: Well, I'm shaking my head because it's another lecture.
0: Oh, it's another lecture. Okay. okay
1: so let us let's, let's me see in brief. Well... First of all, so if you look in anatomy of the connection of the tongue, you have to know some uh, basic knowledge about this. So we stimulate two major structures in the brainstem. I told you about two major cranial nerves. One of them is trigeminal nerve that stimulates the largest structure in the brainstem. they call trigeminal nuclei complex. And that's responsible. One of the features that uh, this structure is responsible, it's a pain, conduction of the pain to the brain from the body. Uh, another facial nerve that give you taste sensation trigeminal nerve give you texture of the food but taste it's, it's another nerve, it's a facial nerve that ending in a structure they call nucleus tractus solitarius nucleus tractus solitarius projecting to amygdala and hypothalamus structures that controlling our emotional state it's a question why our patients quite frequently feel really deep relaxation and it's anti-depressive effect anti-anxiety effects as a side effect of balance training
0: wow what a serendipity huh
1: now about autism autism uh it's 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 really hot topic in my mind because it's one of the f- it's actually the first grant proposal we didn't get it but we submitted for, specifically for autism because uh if you look on the physiological part of autism it's the problems in the brainstem and cerebellum, and it's exactly targets that we're stimulating with the tongue. About eighty percent of symptoms that are typical for autistic spectrum disorders uh, we can fix in other patient population. Okay, so and the another one, so one of the popular hypotheses about why it's uh, what's typical for autistic kids, it's so called sensory integration. So the, uh, this hypothesis, and there are evidence that it might be true, that during development, all our sensory system have to be in harmony. If one of them hyperactive or hypoactive, you have autistic problem. I see. And one of the major sensory integration system, it's a balance. It's exactly what we're fixing. Because to, to have a normal balance, you have to integrate vestibular signal, visual signal, proprioception from the body muscles, ligaments, and joints, and uh, bottom of the foot. So some people say it's up even up to eight different components you have to integrate to feel the balance. And that's automatically controlling your head position, your eye position, and your body position. Uh,
0: let, me, let me finish. We are way over here, but this is just fascinating to me. Why, from what I've seen, why aren't these devices used everywhere? I want to buy one. Can I, can I get one from you or somebody?
1: No. Uh, right now, it's impossible by few reasons. Uh, majority of the people, I can tell you that when we start to work with the PONS technology, we specifically start to work with the population, patient population, that consider untreatable, like chronic stage after stroke or chronic stage after trauma. Because a textbook saying that if you're not recover yourself or with physical therapy in a few months, somebody say three months, somebody say six months, so you're done. Whatever you reach during this half a year, that's your limit. Yes. After that, it's impossible to to help. We're helping people ten years after stroke, fifteen years after trauma. They're recovering. It's in response of your late plasticity. I see. Okay? So the brain flexible and capable to change. That's a question. How, know how to do that. And from that point of view, majority of the people don't believe it's possible because textbooks say it's not possible. It means it's not possible. few times I met people in, in the United States, in Europe, in other countries. Uh, they're just saying, well, we don't want to even discuss it because it's impossible.
0: Oh, so you can't even get to first base with it? No. Wow. So, but it seems to me you can buy this TDCT where you can put current through your brain on Amazon.com. I don't see why you couldn't get a, a tongue stimulator. It seems it seems well, the technologies are equally. You know,
1: it's a really tough <coughs> game or dance with FDA, okay, because it's a very strict uh, requirements. Uh, For example, when the company, the Helios Medical Technologies, started to apply for the approval, all research in the U.S. and Canada was stopped.
0: Why was that?
1: Because not to compromise uh, the issue, and the the Helios made a double-blind clinical study just to make it straightforward and clear, so everybody has to sit down and wait until the results. And right now, the FDA consider that's not enough evidence in efficiency of this technology. That's why you cannot buy it anywhere.
0: Oh, wow. That seems to be a shame, but that's that's my opinion. Thank you, Dr. Danilov. We've been talking to Dr. Yuri Danilov from the kinesiology department at the University of Wisconsin at Madison and this uh, edition of Mind Matters. And so until next time, be of good cheer. This has been Mind Matters News with your host, Robert J. Marks. Explore more at mindmatters.ai. That's mindmatters.ai. Mind Matters News is directed and edited by Austin Egbert. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of the speakers. Mind Matters News is produced and copyrighted by the Walter Bradley Center for Natural and Artificial Intelligence at Discovery Institute.